Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Imagine for a moment, how would it be if you effectively handle all that noise that shows up in your mind? In this episode, I continue my conversation with Andrew Nalband. He is a veteran of three classes of Tech Stars and a former director of user experience at UberSense Inc., Andrew has helped more than 25 companies improve their products and has driven many iPhone apps to the top of the App Store. Andrew is currently the Chief Executive Officer at ThankNotes. For those of you who are not familiar with ThankNotes, ThankNotes is an app, it's a tool for thinking and journaling and for writing any writing project you want to create. In this second part of my conversation with Andrew, he and I discuss in detail how he manages all that noise that shows up in his head, what has worked and what hasn't worked when dealing with a tendency to do things right and perfectly. Now, if you are prone to deeply care about the things you participate in, I want to invite you to consider the concept of harmonious passion. According to Robert J. Valerant, a professor of psychology at the University of Quebec in Montreal, harmonious passion is linked to a flow state, which happens when you are immersed in a task for the pleasure of it. It feels effortless, you remain flexible, mindful, and open to the experience of this task, which leads you to experience more contentment. So when thinking about perfectionistic actions, you may want to check if you are experiencing harmonious passion or obsessive passion. Now, in my conversation with Andrew, we dive into different topics related to perfectionistic, high-achieving, and striving actions, like why meditation or mindfulness practices matter, the influence of cell phones on our thinking, the difference between cognitive restructuring and acceptance. A key question to ask yourself when your mind comes up with a lot of thoughts, the impact of positive thinking in our well-being and how to practice mindfulness on the go. On another note, I want to encourage everyone listening to this episode to go to the website www.thisisdrz.com 
and complete the Planet Safe questionnaire so you can identify your Planet Safe profile and recognize all those thinking strategies, all those Planet Safe moves that you are relying on. But if they go and check, they keep you living a contradiction between the life you want to live and the life you are living. Your Planet Safe profile will give you the awareness you need to stop living small, to stop relying on ineffective planet safe moves so you can start living with purpose every day you are awake. The website again is www.thisisdrz.com and make sure to select the option planet safe questionnaire. I really hope that the key takeaways from the conversation with Andrew and the results from the Planet Safe questionnaire are helpful for you to get unstuck from your head. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your consideration of my work. And I wish you a lovely day. See you next week. Bye-bye. Yeah, but I love what you're saying because I think it feels counterintuitive at the beginning. It's like really deep. Extremely. Right? And then oh, yeah. I remember the question was, who are you without the thinking? And then this idea of watching my thoughts, it felt so counterintuitive, weird. And I was still trying to understand it with my head. It was only when I have to tell myself, Patricia, just try it. Don't overthink it. Well, yeah, because you can't, it's, you're trying to, I mean, as you're pointing out, you're trying to understand thinking just with more thinking. More thinking, (laughs) the recipe for disaster, right? Yeah, it's it's sort of like the, um, I don't know, like the irony of like trying to understand the brain with the, you know, because we're always using the brain to understand the brain. We don't have another way to figure it out. Like, and so uh, it's like recursive or something, you know, <laughs> just like it's in this weird loop. And, uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't uh, kind of compute. And you're right. Like I, I was the same, you know, as you're, uh, as, you know, there's many times when I've been working through this stuff where you just get in this bind where you'd be like trying to think, is this good? Is this not good? Should I think? Should I not? Isn't thinking good? Am I getting, mm-hmm. isn't this benefiting me? And like, you know, uh, and, and you're almost fighting, you know, this like internal battle with yourself over like, can I let this go? Can I put it down even for a minute, you know, for thinking and That's just, right. you know, exist for a second? That's right. How do you solve that these days? How do you manage that given that, our minds don't take any breaks. They don't take holidays. They're all the time going on and on and on. How do you I choose mean, what to pay attention and what not? I think it's a, I, you know, I don't know about others, but certainly for me, it's a continuous, uh, you know, journey. I'd say that sometimes, I, I, I do think that, you know, I've, I've invested for long enough periods, you know, like I had a period where I meditated like every day for a year and there's mm-hmm. my perfectionism for you, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I like had to check that box every day. And I, I think I didn't even, I think I intended to do it for like 30 days and I just kept getting longer. And then I'm like, all right, fine. I'm doing like a whole year. Mm. And the, the, um, the pandemic really put a kibosh on that. <laughs> <laughs> all goal setting perfectionism just goes out the window. Uh, but I'd say that these days, yeah, I, uh, t- 
you know, totally honestly, I'm probably in and out of uh, meditation practice. Sometimes I'm good at doing it in the morning, sometimes I'm not. And then the other thing I try to do is I just try to find, uh, you know, and, and I think in some ways this is, this can be even more beneficial than just the pure sitting. Uh, it's just trying to find times to cultivate that presence. You know, if you're like, I don't know, I was on the, um, kind of very into like the Peloton recently. And so I'm on mm-hmm. the Peloton the other day. And I'm just trying to, and I was just trying to like, uh, have, you know, kind of garner as much presence as I could, feel the breathing, feel the like, listen to the music that was on, feel my hands on the bike. And I think I have a little more access to that stuff, um, you know, sort of spontaneously from having invested in it for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say that that's, you know, I won't pretend to have all this stuff figured out, but <laughs> definitely um, that's what it looks like today. You know, it's, it's a little, probably more frequently, it's a um, somewhat spontaneous experience of, uh, you know, sort of trying to remind myself, uh, you know, a shower might be another place where you can kind of catch a few mindful moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, are, those are some of the times that I try to... Uh, to do it and yeah. some of my current approach how yeah. about you yeah i appreciate the flexibility of how you're embracing this um you know i had moments in my life in which maybe i was more rigorous like going to retreats right i went to a sure. 10-day silence retreat which was yeah. really hard and then a three-day here yeah but it sounds awesome like I've my that my inner perfectionist is very into like the idea of going on like a 10-day silent retreat like <laughs> loves it it gets wild. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but I practice yoga. I have been practicing yoga for quite a while. So for me, that's one place that I try to ground myself. But I believe a lot in what you are describing. I believe in practicing to pay attention with intention to what's happening in our day-to-day life. I like to talk about mindfulness on the go. Like, you know, when you're petting your cat, when you're listening to mm-hmm. a song when you are taking a shower or gardening or when you're cooking something. Because I think the time that we're living requires that as we have these beautiful structured spaces to meditate, we also have to practice this as we move through our day. When you open the laptop and you look at your emails, how can we practice mindfulness in the moment? When you're taking the train, when you're in San Francisco and it's so smelly, how can you practice mindfulness? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, there's some stinky streets in San Francisco, yeah, that's for damn sure. It's a very interesting city for its smells, right? So I think, to me, it's more about that. And this is only my experience as well. I think that's much more challenging. When I put myself into a space that is a structure for practicing mindfulness and meditation, it's beautiful and I welcome that. But I cannot do that every hour of my day. So to me, the biggest question is how we can practice this and build this muscle in our day-to-day lives, which is what you're saying. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. You know, you're making me think of, um, you know, specifically eating. Mm -hmm. I I really haven't done that much, you know, meditation while eating. But specifically eating when I do that, when when I sort of, I've, done, I've used like headspace or something to just mm-hmm. do a little quick like you know, eating meditation and it always kind of shocks me when they call you into just that meditation takes you through sort of like hold the food and, and 
look at the food and think about what was necessary to get this food in front of you. Like how long did it take to grow the food? Who grew the food? Who brought the food from the place that it was grown to the place where they cooked it for you? Who cooked mm -hmm. it for you? And I think some people can find that exercise very overwhelming. I find it very like awe-inspiring to sort of think through all that. And then, and then even just the very, uh, you know, food is a very rich you know, taste, smell experience. And it's, it's, almost, it's almost like a little sad, you know, when I think about it, how frequently I'm missing that experience. Like how mm. frequently I'm just kind of like trying to, to take care of the, you know, I'm gesturing towards my kitchen over here. <laughs> I'm trying to just like take care of the eating just so that I can get back here and like get back to the doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the other thing that you made me think of when you talked about sort of modern life is that, you know, I've spent... My whole career really revolves around our phones, cell phones. Our yeah. cell phones, and I think the phone has really—I mean, I'm not—you know—I think we all would recognize this, but the phone has completely changed our relationship with technology. You know, I, I think it went from—and I was—you know—I was interested in technology when they were sitting on desktops and uh, you know computers, mm. but now the—it's funny to think of how that's shifted, you know, culturally, like. It used to be sort of a nerdy thing to be, you know, spending all your time with technology. Now it's just so pervasive that, like, everyone is doing it. Mm -hmm. And there was a day when I looked at the cell phone, and I, I kind of realized that there was nothing on it that had the possibility of being present. Mm. The cell phone could only ever deliver something to you that was in another time and another place. Mm. It could never deliver something that was here like in this physical moment. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it, 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 it itself is, right? The, the sort of what, the black mirror, uh, <laughs> you know, that's here, right? Yeah. But, but, but anything that your phone is showing to you is not, is by definition, not the present moment. It's mm -hmm. like literally anything but. And we're so engaged with these things now that, that I think it's like, I don't know, I think, you know, I joked about, you know, the sort of mindfulness stereotype, but I think that there's a real reason why that has, um, you know, a lot of attention right now. I think it's because we just desperately need it because mm -hmm. we're glued to these things 24-7 and we just need a little bit of balance to, you know, pull ourselves out of the, you know, this is the, this is the thoughts, right? This is the mind stream, the phone, right? I the phone is, is is only that it's, yeah. it's only that yeah uh, so i think you know today more than ever we desperately need to just like breathe and like look at <laughs> look at some trees <laughs> and like pet our cats and just you know like do anything that's just not you know stare into the mirror the black mirror 24 7 that's right. That's right. Uh, you know while you were sharing that what came to my mind is that in some way the cell phone is like our mind because it's all of them pushing for attention, wants us to touch it, to play a game, to text, to do all types of things. And I think our mind has that power that is constantly coming up with all types of content. And sometimes we get hooked on it. But I think the skill we're talking about is choosing what you pay attention and what you let it go. It's making that intentional choice to me, the biggest question when my mind comes with noise, as it happens every day, is asking myself, if I pay attention to the thought, 
Do I become who I want to be? Does my life expand and get richer and meaningful? Or do I get trapped in my head? So that's how I distinguish a little bit. This is all from acceptance and commitment therapy. But the mind is like a cell phone. It's all the time trying to take us away from whatever we have to pay attention to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, if you, yeah, and if you spend much time at all meditating, I mean, I think you could meditate once and you would notice that your phone is, or your mind is basically sending you notifications like the whole time, you know, you're sitting there and your mind's like, ding, like, what about that, you know, lunch yesterday? That's or right. like, ding, what about that time when I was like 18 and I, you know, did something kind of shitty to a friend of mine? Ooh, that's really bad. <laughs> ding, like, oh, that report is due tomorrow. Uh, it's just like a, an insane, it, it does become, that's when it starts to become, you know, you start to take it a little less seriously when you're sort of like, this is just a bunch of random crap that that's is funny. just bouncing around in there, you know? And, and it, it, it's not to say that you can't, you know, use your mind to do something well but I mean this yeah. is very I think this is like Eckhart Tolle he's like most of the time your mind is using you you don't even know that's right that's right I was reading a study this is maybe from three years ago when we were looking at the number of thoughts that we have and thoughts also include images or dreams or hypotheses but basically we do have an average of seven to eight thousand thoughts a day um, and to your point I think that the idea with mindfulness is not to demonize the mind, but it's really there to use it in the service of your values, in the service of who you want to be. We have been socialized that we have to respond to thinking with my thinking. If we have a negative thought, we have to have a positive thought. If I feel bad about myself, I have to do something to feel good about myself. We yeah, have I mean, those are some of the worst. Yeah, those are some of the worst ideas that like are so oh, pervasive. Wow. Um, I know that, you know, I, I feel like it's, it takes so much, you know, you're talking about like acceptance and commitment ter- therapy. Yeah. It takes an absurd amount of work just to be like, Oh, like sometimes I'm going to be anxious. Yeah. And I, I remember there was a uh, children or children is your name. And uh, I think the book is called when things fall apart. Oh yes. And, yes. Pema children. Pema children. Yes. And, she talked about this idea in that book of hopelessness Mm. and she was like she was like we have this thing where we are all secretly hoping that there's going to be some moment or some thing that we achieve or something that's in the future for us after which everything is going to be okay and we'll never feel sadness or anxiety or fear or any of these things that we don't particularly enjoy feeling and she's like what what we have to do is have the courage to like give up that hope that that is ever coming because that's not coming and that isn't a real it is a normal part of human existence to have these feelings and thoughts and, and and i remember it sounds sort of silly but i remember feeling quite uncomfortable with this passage i think because i didn't realize that like subconsciously even though it's it sounds ridiculous in some sense when you say that there's this this thing that's going to just solve everything Hmm. uh maybe we've just been like marketed so much this maybe just as human beings we just have a natural tendency to believe that this is coming 
uh, that, that, that there is this sort of mythical solution. You know, uh, I think a lot of people think, oh, I don't want to get too deep. <laughs> but I think that that is, that was, I was surprised by how troubling I found it when she said that, when she sort of, because it was obviously true what she was saying. Yeah. And it was very disconcerting. And, you know, but in, in another way, you know, since then, it's been very freeing because, you know, it allows you to say, oh, yeah, like I'm feeling whatever it is you're feeling, sad, anxious. And normally, you know, we, we tend to immediately reach for something. I mean, these days, yeah. it is often yourself. It is the fun. Um, but, um, but it can be any number of things, right? It can be food. It can be cigarettes. It can be uh, alcohol. It can be uh Fidelity, it can be any number of like things that you might reach for to try to solve that, like that feeling that doesn't feel so good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's, and yeah. and it's it's like uh, I, I I think I, I don't remember if this was her or somebody else, but like you know, it was sort of like, well, there there are people who don't feel like you know those things that are uncomfortable, and like they're called psychopaths and robots. You know, they're not. They're not. They're not. They're, not, they're, they're like seriously injured. You know, or like you know, having some serious challenges and problems. You know, like this is a normal thing, and and I think that's really can be freeing to know that like, of course, none. And I noticed this in my in my MBSR course, like. People who didn't look like me, who didn't, I didn't associate them with me at all. Mm -hmm. Like people who are very, very different, at least sort of in a superficial way. Mm -hmm. We're talking about feelings like, oh yeah, like sometimes I get really scared of like, you know, publishing something. Or sometimes I feel like I'm not good enough at, mm -hmm. you know, yada, yada, yada. Or I just feel like everyone else is doing better at yada, 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 you know? And you're like, Oh yeah, all of these things that we think are super unique to us, you know, are my special little story about <laughs> my pain, you know, or whatever. It's like it's really like just a just very universal human. Yeah. It's fascinating what you are saying. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, it's one of the most pervasive messages that has been spread out there in pop psychology, in particular. Yeah, positive uh, thinking. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's such a toxic message. Because we're denying our human experience that to be human is to walk in life with fears, with worries, with thoughts about being a failure. And even though those messages feel very uncomfortable when we sit with them, there is a lot of hope for us when we liberate ourselves from this idea that we should get rid of them. Because yeah. we learn right? yeah. to it's, walk in life with that little voice. It's crazy. It really is crazy how pervasive that idea is that, that you should somehow overcome these things and, and in the sense that you shouldn't experience them, right? Like the, real, the reality is that you, I don't know, at least for what I, my view of it now is that these are parts of life that you should work with. You should mm -hmm. find a way to sort of be like, oh, okay, there, that's here right now. That feeling is here. That's, I don't really like that feeling. Uh, yeah. you know, but I'm not gonna, but I can see it and I can like allow it to exist and I can yeah. sort of be here in my, you know, I don't immediately try to like, you know, jump off to like, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy land just to get away yeah. from this awful feeling right now. Yeah. Isn't that powerful that there is nothing to fix when we feel uncomfortable or when our mind comes with the stories? 
it's really part of the human experience and that creative hopelessness comes when we make room for that stuff and then we choose what really matters to us. To me, that was one of the most liberating and transformative messages I got from acceptance and commitment therapy. Because I think mm-hmm. before then, my training was in cognitive psychology. I was trained in the traditional, what we call second wave of cognitive behavior therapy, in which when you have a thought that says, I am a failure, I have to be listing the evidence against and for the thought. Evidence that proves I'm a failure and evidence that disproves that I'm a failure. So I spent years doing that. But when I discovered ACT, I realized that not only my life got much more expansive and meaningful, but also I was able to put much more effort and energy in the things that matters without trying to fight with my mind. My mind mm-hmm. became like this nagging friend that sometimes comes, blah, 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 yap, 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 chop, chop, chop. There's nothing yeah. for me to fix. And then this idea when I'm walking, when I'm talking, when I'm doing the podcast and my mind comes with thoughts, I check, okay, is that thought helpful to be who I want to be in this moment? If the answer is yes, I take it. If the answer is no, okay, I know this, I hear you and I go back to the present. It's never perfect, but I think that's what is liberating and transformative. There is nothing to fix. There is nothing broken with ourselves when we feel anxious, worry, or we are concerned about making mistakes or being a failure. It is being human. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I think maybe, I don't know. It's the funny thing is I still don't really know where we got that idea. Like, I, I still, a part of me thinks that it's just like, it's just such a seductive idea that we get, we just naturally sort of fall in love with it. Like this <laughs> idea that we can get out of this sort of, you know, difficult part of life that we can just have the good bits and like none of the challenges. Um, I also, you know, I definitely think that like we are, you know, there's a pretty powerful and expensive marketing machine that is reinforcing that message like 24 seven, like, you know, Oh, are you having the slightest, you know, (laughs) discomfort? Oh boy, do I have a product for you? You know, like, do you sometimes like look at yourself in the mirror and think, I wish I looked better. I've got a whole, we got tons of products for that. <laughs> we have so many. You don't even know how many we have. I you know? I uh, you know? It's actually really scary because it's a very toxic message. It's very pervasive. And many times we don't have the skills to handle our own discomfort, our own distress, our own worries. So of course we want a quick fix. Um, do you know this, this writer, Oliver Burkeman? He wrote the uh, 4,000 weeks. Yeah, um, actually, I, did, I think I, yeah, I did read that. It was, it's, a, it's a great book. It's a great book. But his previous book is Happiness, the Antidote for People that Hate Positive Thinking or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the style. But basically, the first chapter, he's describing a workshop that he attended. I don't remember where, but apparently in the 80s or 90s in the States, there was this huge movement called Get Motivated. And then, you know, some, some leaders like Rudy Giuliani, Gorbachev used to go and give talks about get motivated and be positive, be happy. And that was a whole industry. And if you look in Amazon, there's a bunch of self-help books about how to control your thoughts, how to get rid of this, how to suppress this. So I think to your point, there is a, huge industry around our 
struggles of being alive, our mm -hmm. struggles that are part of our human experience. Oh, well, right? I mean, it has to, right? I mean, it kind of has to, at least, you know, it has to in the sense of like to sell product, it has to perpetuate suffering. <laughs> but like, you know, like I, th I think I, I, you know, I, I, sometimes I do wonder like, can a, you know, industry sustain, it seems like, like if you look at any, I don't know, like guru who's out there, like just trying to help people. Mm. Uh, in, I, what I seem to see is a pattern and I don't, you know, well, yeah, this is very subjective, but it seems often that at, at first they are actually quite helpful. They like have this niche and they're like helping in this very specific sort of way. But then inevitably, you know, if your goal is just to maximize the amount of money you're making doing that, mm -hmm. which, you know, not everyone's goal is, but the people who become most visible, that is their goal. Because that, that, like, their goal is to be the most visible and the most making the most money, and so they become the people that we all see, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think that there is just this point where if you just want to get your, you know, um, if you just want to get your like self help, you know, business to be big enough, you basically have to like switch <laughs> to the dark side. <laughs> you basically just have to like not really help. And just kind of like get a really watered down message and just sort of send it to like a really broad group of people and kind of promise a solution that never really comes. And just like, you know, it, the solution never comes, but the next product definitely comes. <laughs> um, and the next thing to buy, you know, as a result of, of you know, this thing, you know, eventually comes. And I, I don't know, I, 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 I that, that's a funny thing about, you know, sort of self-help and productivity. It's sort of, does yeah. feel that way to me like the bigger it gets the wider you just have to water stuff down so much that it's like difficult for it to still be it's difficult for it not to turn a little bit like mm, it's a little questionable what's going on here yeah 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 no i think you're right that unfortunately that's the path that a lot of people take Andrew, we'd love to have a cup of coffee with you i think yes. i to boston for that it's a beautiful city um because we're running out of time, I have one question for you. If you were to have a cup of coffee or tea or a scotch or a beer with any person you want today, who would that be and why? Any person alive? Mm -hmm. Or someone that passed away, any person that you would like to have a chat with? So It's so hard because, I mean, I've, I've, uh, I, one of my answers is so cliche. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's but it's Steve Jobs for sure. Mm. I think you know he is somebody who, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because he sucked in all these ways. Like he was a shitty dad, and that that's something that like I can't I can't get over. Like like how can you be such a crappy dad? But he is somebody who did seem to have uh, a real grip on like how to make something beautiful and joyful and he had an intuition for it and i think that it would be you know just fascinating to just like and i i watched i've watched every video i can find of his i like study them i'm like what is mm. he doing here i think he had an incredible ability to communicate through like metaphor and perspective in such a way that like really inspired the people around him 
Mm -hmm. I think that's really what he was great at. Like, he certainly, like, made things that were good, but I think his real magic was that he could, like, cultivate the sort of energy in the folks that were around him to try to do sort of, like, Herculean things. Um, and so, yeah, I think that would be my, like, very cliche answer to that question. He's certainly a very interesting guy. I read his biography, the one written by Walter Isaacson. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating because he really walks through all the different layers of who he was as a person, as a friend, as a person you work with, and his passion for creating things that was aesthetic and functional at the same time in everything he did. So I can see why you're curious about that. I, you know, and I think to be fair, like, you know, when I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I did a lot of work to kind of come to this conclusion that I wanted to create a world with more joy, beauty and delight in it. And I think that, you know, in his own way, he was somebody who was very able to do that. And the, and the mm -hmm. iPhone, more than any other product, I mean, I had the very first one. And, mm -hmm. I, and I can also, I mean, I remember how just how unbelievably different that was. I don't think people really appreciate like the other devices that were out at the time, just how terrible they were. And these come with these Whopper manuals. I talked about this in the interview actually with uh, Ann Laura. Um, and, and how just completely different and easy and so much easier to use the iPhone was. And, uh, and I do feel strongly that we don't have we really don't have a person out there that is you know creating stuff that's like certainly apple has lost i think they can't deny that it's lost it's like i don't ever look at those products and think this is so exciting like mm -hmm. look at what's actually possible Can, i didn't even know that this was like a thing that was possible you know and so there's just like a I think there's just a really huge way in which he was so inspiring and I don't know I love I have a million stories but one that one that you know stands out that I'll tell you is um, there's this story of him going to the person that worked on like the bios that like booted up the original Macintosh and I think it was taking I don't know how long it was taking like you know two three minutes to like boot this thing up and he's like, I got to get this guy to do this faster, right? And he's like, this is just way too long to wait for a, a computer. And, um, you know, I, who knows how he thought about this. But I imagine that he was like, how can I convince this guy to, like, put in the insane amount of work that is going to be required? Like, how can I make sure that he tries as hard as he can mm -hmm. to do this? Not just like, and, and not just like you know, you know, and I think most bosses, most people would go in there and be like, look, it's really important. Like we're going to, it's going to make such a difference. We're going to sell so many more computers and people are going to be so much happier with them. And like, that would just be so unmotivating. You know, <laughs> so what he actually did is he goes to the guy and he says, you know, can you, do you think you can shave off like 30 seconds? Like, I think really 30 seconds is what would make a difference. And he just laughed. The guy laughed at him. He's like, 30 seconds, Steve? He's like, there's no way. Like, it's already super optimized. Like, you're insane. And then, you know, he looks at him dead, you know, very straight. And he's like, if you could save somebody's life, do you think you could do it? And he takes a deep breath and he's like, because he looks, sounds serious, I guess. I have to think about this. And he's like, I guess if it was that important. Like, if you really save somebody's life, mm -hmm. then maybe I could do it. 
And he said, okay, well, this is how many Macintoshes we're going to sell. And he puts it up on the board. And he's like, this is how many times like people are going to boot up these machines. And this is how much time I'm asking you to shave off of that. And it's like, you know, 200 lifetimes, you know, of time. And so it, it's a, just a mastery of like understanding like motive, human like motivation. And it's a totally different perspective, right? Uh, rather than like, let's just <laughs> make a, a, a good computer and, and we'll try to do our best and like we'll try to sell a lot of them. I think most companies would be like, we just want to sell more. Um, we'll make more money. But it's like, you know, you could save, you know, 200 lifetimes by doing this. It's just like a, it's a masterful thing that's happening there. And I think that, that uh, that's not something that I have yet found access to, that magical perspective. <laughs> no, no. I, I hear you. There was something about him that he had this charisma to guide people to push themselves, to challenge themselves. Sometimes in a very imperfect way. But oh, yeah. Try, and he's beautifully but... flawed. And maybe that's, you know, uh, why I sort of paused it by, because uh, he is a totally flawed human being. But you're right. He, he, it was, it was, it was different. It was, there was something going on there. So I see if you were to have a cup of coffee with him, you guys will have a juicy conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. I mean, that's the funny thing. We could hate each other. I could find him to be completely intolerable, but I sure hope it would be fun. I think I'd probably enjoy myself. Um, Thank you so much again for making the time, for sharing your journey dealing with high achieving behaviors and also all this other interesting stuff about how you think about things, how you think about thinking, how you think about meditation. I am super grateful and I really hope that we can do this again. Yeah, it'll be great fun. Thank you, Patricia. It was, it was lovely. Great. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.zone. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!